Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to the Masters of Modern podcast. I am your host. Ben Bateman, joined today by Mr. Michael Grothy. What's up, man? How you doing? Hello, hello, Ben. Hello, uh, everyone at home. Yeah, what's up, guys? We're back. Uh, it's been a, it's kind of a crazy season, you know. Uh, none, no consistency as far as who's in these chairs and when we've been here, but we have been able to get the videos out. We just finished our set review. All three parts came out, and uh, now we are here to talk to you about some of the real life things that are happening in the Magic the Gathering community. So it's been a big few weeks. Um, War of the Spark has come out. People have been playing War of the Spark cards. It's a big set which warranted your big set review yes it was a very long set review um and the funny part was we started the set review like three weeks ago and there was like a couple cards that have now made an impact that like i was like being like well if you played neoform in a green blue merfolk deck you could level up from like a two creature to a three creature and then somebody was like or you could just win the game on turn one uh and that's been happening so <laughs> like somebody commented on the video and was like it's a shame these clowns recorded this video before Neoform broke the format. Um, but uh, anyway, it's more you, didn't, <laughs> you didn't immediately think about Allosaurus Rider when you saw that card, Ben? What are you thinking? There's more to talk about there, um, but and we may or may not get to it today, but there's definitely a lot of things happening in the modern world. Uh, this is the Masters of Modern Podcast. We talk modern on this show. Alex Kessler, uh, the originator of the show, is not here today. He'll be back next week for our preview card episode. Uh, I guess it's two weeks from now. Alex will be back next week with you. Then the week yep. after, Alex will be back with me doing our preview card episode. A preview um, card for what, Ben? For Modern Horizons. O-M-G. Do you think that set's going to be exciting for Modern? It feels like it has a shot. If I had to put money on it, maybe. I mean, it'd be hope. You know, that's what you'd hope after such a low impact set like War of the Spark. I'm I mean, like pretty blown away by War of the Spark, actually. There's it's the it's probably the most like awesome set from a what can I do with all these wonky cards perspective since like the sets that I loved, like the old like time spiral sets. There's just like so many moving parts and pieces and weirdness and like them pushing proliferate and bring it back at a better rate is really fun that interacts with so many different pieces of magic yeah and a lot of three mana planeswalkers which always at least deserve a look for, yeah for eternal formats so. so you guys can go watch those full reviews um we did we did all three parts um so coming up today on the show we are going to be talking about the magic pro league some of the uh the discourse going on about the future of the pro league and just kind of the pro community magic as an esport the future of that so on and so forth um uh, before we do that i want to remind everybody you guys Guys can find me personally at Ben Bateman Media, and the podcast can be found on Twitter at the MMCast. Michael, uh, I'm on Twitter at Dudard D U D A R D D, uh, and I also am an active member of the Masters of Modern Facebook group. The Facebook group that uh, sometimes denies the existence of this podcast. Which is well, always the Facebook group has just grown <laughs> much larger than the podcast fan base, which is great. I mean, like, there's a lot of good modern discussion on there, and there's you know the fact there's people who haven't heard of the podcast is cool because let's like, you know, there's it's yeah, a big, right, right. It's a big community of like people who are thinking about things differently because it's not like all people who listen to the podcast and like think about magic the same way that you know you and I and Alex do. We're still fishing for new fans in the pool that was created by this podcast. <laughs> um, so uh, yes, but there that's that's another that's another place you guys can find out what's going on. I'm going to throw to a quick uh, pre-roll so we call it here in the industry with some of the, the shout outs. 
What's up, guys? Masters of Modern here. I'm Ben Bateman. I'm Alex Kessler. And we've got a couple quick shout-outs for you guys that we wanted to remind you of on this episode. The first one is Twitter. At the MMCast. We've had a Twitter for years. It's a great place to interact with us. We post exclusive images of our brand-new spoiler cards, all kinds of cool stuff. Check it out at the MMCast. It is a great way to support the show. Kess, where can the folks find you personally? I'm at Kess Wiley. You guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media. The second thing is we have a YouTube. You may be watching this right now, honestly. You might be listening to it. But one of the big pushes for us in 2019 is to build this YouTube channel. We want to get more eyes, more ears, bigger guests, better episodes, higher production quality. We even hired a producer right now, so you might even see the camera angles changing. Subscribe, like, comment. It's going really well so far, and honestly, if you guys support it, even if you're an audio listener already, it's a huge thing you can do to help us grow this. The third thing, and maybe the most important thing for our long-term health, is patreon.com slash the MMcast. Guys, this year is going to have a ton of cool rewards for you. We really want to make the Patreon feel special, and it's a great way to help us grow. Our ability to hire the producer, to get new gear, to do anything cool in the future is going to be dependent on our ability to actually pay for it. Because right now, Alex and I are just paying out of pocket for the show. You know, We love it, but that's what we're doing. Well, and, and the producer will help us kind of make sure we stay on stuff on Patreon, so it'll be a really thriving community. Yeah. Now, the last thing I want to talk to you guys about is the command zone. Jimmy Wong, Josh Lee Kwai, these guys helped us start this thing, mm-hmm. collected companies where you can find their stuff. They're seriously the most professional magic people in the world. Not named Ben and Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they make awesome content every week. Commander Focus. They do game nights. They do uh, the Command Zone is obviously the podcast, the sister podcast of NMCast. Check them out. Collective.company. It's the same place you can find our episodes every week as well. And the last thing is if you guys want to check out a great community, check out the Facebook group, the Masters of Modern. There's a ton of people in there. It's very interactive. There are constantly threads about new decks, new conversations. Uh, It's very active. Check it out. That's uh, Facebook, the official master of the modern group and otherwise let's get back to the show thanks guys and we're back so we are going to start talking about today's topic and today's topic primarily is going to be discussing the magic pro league and the fact that it is in turmoil so since the last time we had a real conversation about magic as an esport i think the biggest change i mean obviously the introduction of the pro league because it's been probably well over a year since we had a discussion on the show about it i think we i think the masters of modern discussed it i think Maybe it was Alex and I. We talked about uh, magic as an esport in the context of arena. I don't. I think it may have been before the Magic Pro League, though. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's been a while. Like we haven't really done like a deep dive into it in a while, and um, I think there was a lot of speculation in the last couple years. You know, before arena was really catching on, before people knew how is Wizards going to handle this? Like, you know, will the will the viewing experience be improved? Right? Is is arena going to be fun? Are people going to like it? And I think on the whole, we can all agree arena has been a pretty big hit. Yeah, totally. Um, it's been very successful, and. I'll, I'll kind of let you just give the background on the Magic Pro League for anybody who's unfamiliar with what it is, because I think you're a little bit more dialed in on it. Sure. So what they did with the Magic Pro League was they there was a big movement, um, you know, that included Jerry Thompson bowing out of worlds uh, in protest that was kind of like, you know, we are putting our heart and soul into this game and we're basically, you know, helping advertise it by being the faces of professional magic and being something to strive towards. But, you know, we're not really getting paid in a way that makes sense compared to other esports, like, you know, and it was right after the silver showcase where they invited like a bunch of hearthstone pros and stuff to come do the, the draft of like alpha beta or it was like, it was beta a beta, it was the beta 
Arabian Nights, I think. Arabian Nights, Antiquities yeah, yeah. Draft or something like that. And it's like, you know, we've put a lot of effort into Magic specifically. And all those people who left Magic for Greener Pastures to play a game that makes them more money now are getting invited. And so, you know, it was just like a not a great time for Pro Magic. So what they did in response to that, uh, and also, you know, to kind of kickstart Magic as an esport on the caliber of Hearthstone, hopefully, was they started the Magic Pro League. So they took the top 32 ranked players in Pro Points and invited them to join. Uh, a couple of them turned it down. Uh, so their spot, I believe Andrew Beckstrom turned it down and his spot got given to Li Shitian, um, cause they wanted another representative from the, uh, the APAC region. But, um, so then those 32 players are now given $75,000 a year contracts to, uh, stream magic, go to all the mythic championships and just be the new faces of magic. They did little bios on them, photo shoots, and they're like kind of, you know, shouting them out on their Twitter all the time and promoting their streams now that they're all streaming as part of their contract. Um, and everything seemed like it was going pretty well, especially after the Mythic Invitational, which was like um, the highest had, numbers ever it was a huge success. Yeah, they had the the 32 MPL players along with uh, 32 challengers, uh, which were like people that they just invited because it was an invitational. So it was 64 uh, and they mixed up the streamers and the MPLers. Uh, and then they did like, uh, played in arena, uh, best of three using two standard decks with no sideboards. So you would like roll a random deck for the first two matches or you'd roll a random deck for the first match, play your other deck for the second match. And then the third match would be you picked. It was, it was called duo standard or duo something? standard. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a little bit of a wonky format and all the like MPL pros brought basically a monocolor aggro deck and Esper control as their two decks. Um, and then, uh, a lot of the streamers brought like a little bit spicier stuff because that's obviously what they're known for, right? Like if you're going to see a streamer in this huge promotional event and you're like, they're playing an awesome deck, you're going to go throw them a follow. So as a streamer, you want to play something sweet. Uh, but the MPLers are, you know, the, the top ranked magic players in the world. And so they were all like, we're in it to win Spikes. It. They wanted to yeah. come <laughs> in and they wanted to crush. Right. Uh, but, you know, day two actually was pretty split between the challengers and the MPL. But it was like a really big production value thing. Most viewers uh, at a Magic event in history. Um, and it looked like everything was going great. Uh, until, so right before the Mythic Championship, uh, Owen Turtenwald disappeared from the MPL and was replaced with Autumn Burchett, who was the winner of the first Mythic Championship. Right. Um, there are, you know allegations of you know uh, about Owen? misconduct yeah, with yeah, Owen yeah. going around on the internet nothing is really confirmed yet and Wizards and Owen neither of them have commented have made so a statement yeah it's sort of just all the- we know is he's out of the MPL uh, and Autumn is in so that you know is what it is it didn't really affect the Mythic Invitational it was fine um, but now uh, we have a, another pro who uh, Yuya Watanabe who uh, was caught marking his Tron lands at the Pro Tour. Brutal, um, yeah. Which he's such a huge figure in, you know, the the Japanese magic community and the magic community in the world. Uh, he's it's a, like hall, a of hall of Famer. Yeah, he's a Hall no of Famer. No longer. Yeah, he, he was a Hall of Famer. He was in the MPL, and I've, you know, followed his career as long as I've been following pro magic because he was unavoidable. He was like, you know... One of the best players up. ever. Yeah, he was oh, one of the best God. players ever. And so... You know, it makes you wonder how much of that was for real. Did he just now crack under the stress of being in the MPL and everything else and decided he there was pressure to finish? Or, you know, did he, has he been doing this for a while? 
who knows? But I've seen pictures of his lands. Uh, it's pretty bad. Basically, yeah. The, the, on the backs of the sleeves, there were marks on like the bottom right corner on all of Zerzo's mines, bottom left corner on all his power plants, and top left on all of his towers or something like that. So it's like, and all his other sleeves were pristine. So it's like, yeah. you know, like if it was all on the same corner and there were maybe a couple other cards that were kind of questionable, a right, couple other right. sleeves that were kind of questionable, but, it's just but it was very just, clear cheating. It was just very clear. Now um, I, I had heard that there was some research that went into actually investigating his history as a player. And then there was some more questionable stuff that people came across. Is that true? I hadn't seen any of that, Okay, but uh, it's possible. I mean, at the very least he was definitely cheating this time. And so his, his punishment was a like two and a half year ban uh, from from the game, uh, removal from the MPL, removal from the Hall of Fame, which got to remove him from the MPL if you're going to ban him, and I definitely think this is a ban-worthy offense. Removal from the Hall of Fame is pretty savage. I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever been removed from the Hall of Fame, maybe it's, like back in the day. It's pretty in keeping, though, with, um, like, notably, Mike Long is not in the Hall of Fame. Well, and, right, but he hasn't been voted in the Hall of Fame. He's been on the ballot, and he has some outspoken people who want him in as, you know, a magic pro tour history thing not that he is necessarily the best representative of the game but he deserves to be in the hall of fame because he is a big piece of the game's history so mark rosewater being the biggest proponent of mike long he's been on the ballot every year and he hasn't been voted in but this is there was no vote they just decided you know this guy is a cheater and we don't want him as a representative of our game and we're removing him from the hall of fame yeah, it seems like a big deal it, to it, me. Yeah, no, that's very savage. given that you know everything else is totally voting based with a combination of Wizards employees and pros and other personalities like Brian David Marshall and you know people who've been involved in the scene for a long right. time. Um, vote on who gets in, but who gets out? Uh, apparently, you cheat one time at the Pro Tour. That's blatantly, a pretty. I mean, it's so. a pretty major cheat. <laughs> I, and it I is, also for th- sure. I mean, the ban and the removal from the MPL, no brainer for me. But I also think though that now with the it's sort of like. Um, with a more public facing perspective from Wizards of the Coast on what this game is supposed to be and how it should be perceived, I think this is like a send a message ban where it's For like sure. we're, you know, between these 32 players, the average payout for this pro league is like something like $4.5 million, like of the 10 million they're putting in, I think. So it's like, if we're going to pay out that much money to this, and one of these people thinks that's okay, it's like, there's absolutely no way that's okay. And we have to send such a clear message that if we're going to spend almost $5 million, yeah. When I also think it's notable that like Magic is trying to really make a name for itself as an eSport, but because Magic is one of the only quote-unquote esports that has an analog component you know you can't cheat really at starcraft or hearthstone without hacking the game somehow um well, it was interesting i actually saw a post from andre strosky who was one of the challengers at uh, the mythic invitational that he was playing against alexander hayne who's in the mpl and he thought that alexander hayne had been using full control to bluff a counter spell and so he called a judge on him because apparently that was illegal for time you weren't allowed to use full control unless you were like executing a series of actions that required full control. You could not bluff using full control during the tournament because really, and like arena advises you to do that. I yes. want to just make clear to everybody listening because arena's newer for a lot of people. Full control is a mode in the game. So you want to explain the difference between full control? Sure. So usually when you're playing your spells, it'll resolve everything for you uh, in the order that the computer thinks is optimal. And generally it's fine, right? Like if I want to play counter spell, it'll just tap two of my islands and play counter spell. I don't have 
to click my lands. I don't have to do any of that stuff. And if I have multiple triggered abilities going off at the same time, like if I play a, a Bloom Hulk with a Crunch Wrangler and play in draft or something, the Crunch Wrangler trigger goes in the stack and then the Bloom Hulk trigger goes in the stack because the computer is like, that's probably what you want, right? If you go into full control, you get to choose the order of things like that and you get to tap your lands manually so that you can kind of more directly control the game and what what's happening when. But it takes up a lot of time because you have to click each land uh, and, you know, these were timed matches and they wanted to prevent stalling. So at the Mythic Invitational, both for the viewer's sake and for the sake of a timed matches, uh, they full control wasn't allowed. And I don't think that was something that was announced, but I saw Andre Strasky talk, Strasky talking about it on Twitter, um, which I thought was interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. It's uh, so you can cheat on arena in tournaments depending on what the sure. rules are. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been uh, that's one of the things as I've been learning arena, you know, since we actually did our first episode of best of one, which was probably a couple months ago now. And actually some people have wondered if we're gonna bring that show back. I actually got approached about it at a recent event. Uh, two people asked me about it and we would really like to, it's a question of time. This, season that we're in the middle of now, Alex and I and Michael all working for the company Kesco is a very, very busy season. As we get towards the middle of the summer, it gets a little easier and we might actually revisit it. Um, but as I've been learning a little bit more about it, there are things that should be innate that you don't pay attention to where like in the automatic mode, I go to like, I don't know, cast a merfolk trickster, uh, trickster, the flash. Yep. That's trickster. And it leaves my one land open and it's an unclaimed territory and I have a dive down in hand and it's like, I realized then like, yeah. ah, man, now I can't cast my spell because it automatically tapped the wrong lands. Cause I've seen a lot of people complaining on Twitter about uh, it always taps mobilized district because it's like, oh, this colorless mana isn't as useful to you and you don't have four mana to activate it. But they're like, no, it costs one to activate right yeah. now. But like, you know, the land tapping algorithm doesn't get it. It's like you can't activate this and it taps for colorless, so it's less useful. I'm going to tap it. And you're like, no, I, I was going to attack. Yeah, so like, that's really annoying. For me, uh, I love playing the Gates deck and the automatically will stack. If you have a dead Gate Colossus and you have Guild Summit in play, oftentimes it's awesome to play a Guild, uh, play a Gate, put the Colossus on top and draw it off the gate, Guild Summit, but it will always stack them backwards if it's in automatic mode. It will always draw your card first and then ask, do you want to put the Gate Colossus on top? Have you guys found that playing War of the Spark Limited is like, especially in the like Planeswalker Pearl Variate deck, is extremely difficult to do efficiently because like there's so many triggers and things to pay attention to, you start to run out of time quickly. It's happened to me a few times now where I'm drafting and I'm like, man, this... This is not as fun as I thought it was because this is it auto proliferates on arena, which is really nice where it just selects all your permanents with a counter is like, do you want to play like with three? Yeah, 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 it's pretty much always good. I haven't actually had a problem with it. I, I actually have had a lot more problems playing War of the Spark in paper drafting because you have all these planeswalkers with static abilities and stuff. And so it's like my opponent has the wanderer in play and I like, you know, heart fire one of their creatures and sack my guy and they're like, OK, I'm like, oh, shoot but on arena there's like a little animation on all their creatures yeah, yeah, toughness yeah, yeah. to show that they can't take damage and you know they have a kasmina in play and i like go to play my removal spell in paper and my opponent's like you can't do that and i'm like oh yeah pretend you didn't see that but on arena it's just like oh i can see in my hand this obnixilis's cruelty cost five so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like all these planeswalkers with static abilities you don't think about uh, especially when there's like multiples in play for both players yeah uh, i've actually found it a lot easier on arena interesting I've really enjoyed it. I think it's a great set. So uh, but we'll talk a little bit more about War of the Spark in a bit. So getting back to the Magic Pro League conversation. So those were kind of two major developments. Um, now, this kind of brings to the next point, which is that there has been a surge, an, an upwelling, if you will, of uh, discourse coming from the pro community about the death of the Magic Pro League, the death of Paper Magic. 
Now, well, wait, I haven't gotten to that part yet. Oh, please. Okay. Continue. Okay. So, so yeah, it looks like the MPL is going great. Somebody cheats. That's really unfortunate. So, uh, now this week, this week, uh, Jerry Thompson, uh, you know, well known for being a pro player, but also well known recently for bowing out of worlds to protest the state of second pro play place at the time. pro tour player from like last year. He came on the podcast actually and talked about Mardu uh, Mardu Pyromancer after he got second place at the pro tour. Yeah, I mean he's like a, a incredibly illustrious magic name, but he's also been well known recently for protesting, you know, high profile protests against the state of uh, competitive play and magic. And he's continuing that trend by uh, bowing out of the MPL. So he's bowing out of his $75,000 a year contract with extra benefits for, you know, because they fly you to all the Mythic Championships and they you have a lot of value just from being in a Mythic Championship because you have a shot at money that, you know. Um, so he is bowing out of the Magic Pro League, bowing out of his contract uh, in order to protest the state of competitive play again when two the casual observer, it might look like it was pretty good, right? Uh, given the success of the Mythic Invitational and the existence of the Magic Pro League compared to the last time he protested. And basically, he wrote a blog post about, you know, the reasons that he quit. And it was all, he said, you know, the MPL is getting paid now, which is cool, but there's still, like, no communication from Wizards, and he felt like he was going to be in the MPL and be able to kind of change things from within and give Wizards advice, because kind of, they had a, um, they had hired a few players to be, like, the the pro player representatives when they were making organized play decisions, uh, and so they had, like, a player from each region, um, I don't remember all of them off the top of my head, but I know Willie Edel was one of them from, from South America. Um, and they were supposed to be kind of advising wizards on how to make organized play decisions and given their region and their experience as a professional player. Um, and that was disbanded, uh, shortly before the MPL. And so, you know, it, there was kind of an implication that the MPL would just continue to do this. And they, they brought them all into, the headquarters in Renton and kind of gave them a little workshop on how to stream and what's expected of them and all this stuff. And, but it, you know, Jerry said that it felt like a very one way street. Like they weren't really listening to what the MPL players had to say about all of it. And it seemed worse because wizards seemed like they didn't really know what they were doing. And we're uh, going to link to, we're going to link to these articles in the description below, but I read his article. Um, and you know, he basically a lot of what he's saying is that like, while while the improvements are great and while the system and the money and everything is exciting and different from what it has been in the past, there's also a lot of things that we gave up as a community to get here, right? So the different levels of the Platinum Pro and, and the sort of gravy train that existed for a long time, the Pro Players Club. Um, and also, because the information has been so lacking, none of them have any idea how to requalify for the next right. year. Even so, the people that are in the MPL who, like, effectively, they've been given a job, uh, $75,000 a year, but they have no job security whatsoever because there's not even a way for them to figure out if they will be able to keep this job next year. Yeah. Maybe maybe they can't. Maybe they're just going to pick 32 new people and they're not even eligible. Who knows? They don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's a couple other articles. Sperling wrote one as well. Matt Sperling. Um, Ari Lax wrote an article as well. You know, Lax's article is really interesting. It was talking kind of breaking down dollar by dollar um, what you make on average as a player in the MPL. Um, yeah, well, so his article was, his article was talking about the death of competitive magic, um, f you know, and the MPL and, and part of it was so, so, okay. So the, 
I guess there's one more piece of backstory here. I know that I am a fairly rambly talker. No, 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 no. This is, so, this is really important. I'm actually impressed by how concise and to the point you're being. Oh, that's so good. that's good. So you've become a very good podcast. So you, yeah, have to say, <laughs> I like to talk. This um, is quality content, Grothy. Yeah, Keep y- it up. Yuya and and um, and Jerry are now out. Uh, Jerry, as of this week, Yuya as of the Pro Tour. Um, and so they replace them with uh, Savish, who is a Hearthstone streamer primarily. Uh, now he's been streaming a lot of Arena since Arena came out, but he has not really made a name for himself in Pro Magic uh, until now, uh, until the Mythic Invitational. He was invited as one of the streamer invites, and nobody had any problem with that because he's a good streamer and he's very good at Magic. He's been number one Mythic, and he he got second in the Invitational, I believe, something like that. I mean, he did really well at the Invitational. Sure. He's definitely proven himself um, as as a Magic player. Uh, but, you know, he hasn't really put in the time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the other one was uh, Jessica, Jessica Estefan, who was also in the Mythic Invitational. Uh, and she was the top pro point earner among women in 2018. So they wanted to include a woman in the MPL, which I think is a great idea. And so they chose Jess because she was the top point earner. The problem that Ari had and that he was saying this is the death of competitive magic is because these two people included kind of and and to an extent Autumn as well, uh, you know, the the MPL was meant to be something that had you you could attain it. Right. Like the original trailer for the MPL was like you know, get in the MPL, see the world, be the face of magic. Right, right, right. And they had like, you know, the person walking around with the camera behind their head, shaking hands with everybody like, oh, I'm so famous. There's like people taking pictures of me and I'm saying hi to, you know, whatever rando celebrities they got for the trailer, which was weird. <laughs> That's always the experience. Whenever I go to a magic tournament, there's always one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, but there's no clear path to the MPL. So, so what are you really striving for? And they kind of, by picking the top pro point owners, they implied that these are meant to be the 32 best players in the world and that the way they attain this was by going to magic tournaments and being successful. Um, and now they're kind of picking the criteria that they want to, to have the MPL be a successful advertising wing for the game, which I think is probably the right idea. Um, you know, like basically they're paying these people to stream and not all of them have a lot of interest in streaming and not all of them are very good at it. And, now what they're doing is they're picking people who they think will represent the game well as as personalities, as ambassadors. You know, it'll be fun to watch them play. It'll be fun to like watch their stream. They'll they'll be on camera. They know what it's like and and they'll they'll be good representatives for the game. But the problem is that's not the 32 best players in the world necessarily, and it means that there's no clear path to being in the MPL because Wizards is kind of choosing the criteria they want. To, to fill seats. Um, and so with no clear path to the MPL and they got rid of silver, gold, platinum, the previous levels, there's like not really an incentive to play in these tournaments anymore because you can't accumulate these. So if you're a good magic player, you're not going to go and win every single pro tour you go to. Right. Obviously. Of course. I mean, we can see the best in the world have only won a handful of pro tours, but um, if you, if you can do, you know, well enough at enough pro tours then you can continue qualifying forever and they used to get your flight paid for if you did well enough you could be gold or or platinum or whatever and you could just continue traveling the world and playing magic and that was the lifestyle that you strived for but all that's gone you basically it's all it's it's all or nothing now you have to like you know top eight the pro tour to requalify or something you have to like top eight a grand prix to requalify 
Like it's just, there's no clear path to becoming a pro and living the pro lifestyle. And even if they're only giving it to 32 people, which is way fewer than had it before, how do you even become one of those 32 people? Well, yeah, so the, the, it begs a couple questions, right? So the first one is it's paper versus digital. Uh, that's I think that's the first place to start, which okay. is which is like, obviously it costs less money to not print magic cards. Like it's a, it, if you are just running a computer game and everything you're selling is a JPEG, an animated JPEG, in the long run, you would save money. Now, probably the decreased physical sales that would maybe come if that becomes the primary way of consuming magic Sure, you probably don't make as much money there because magic as an actual physical good is like a pretty profitable endeavor for them. Totally. Um, and there are plenty of different video games that you can play. There are not a lot of magics you can play. No, there, there are no magics. Yeah, pretty the, much. I mean, you can play Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, but I promise you they're not the same. They're not as good <laughs> of a game. So, um, so that's like something magic has going for it. And it does sort of start to ask that question. Now, you mentioned one of these two pros that came in to replace the two spots. Um, the gentleman who was just added, who on his Sunny stream, Jan Mikkonen is his is his name. He's from Norway, we, and we actually have a clip of him on stream, I believe, right, Marshall? Yes, that's our producer over. I'm speaking to on the other side there, Marshall. Yes, so this is uh, we'll play a clip here. This is Jan being asked by one of his viewers on his stream about whether or not joining the Magic Pro League will encourage him to play Paper Magic, because currently he is just a streamer. Are you going to play paper at all? Is this... um, the thing about paper is that it's really hard for me to take so many like days off for something that's... Uh, it's tough. It's like a week of no streaming. and The Arena Champions are a little different because it's like on Twitch and... I'm still figuring it out. So that's a clip that's been talked about a lot. And it, it asks a question to a lot of viewers and listeners and even to us because this is like... The, the real nuts and bolts concept of is it more valuable to just stream and not attend events is something we've sort of talked about, but really being confronted by somebody who's getting paid a salary to play Magic, who in theory, because of that, should have investment in the long-term health of the game and really should have an investment in the long-term health of the paper version of the game because it's what the game is. It's the thing that makes Magic the most unique. If that's truly the attitude, like that an attending a paper event is maybe just not worth the time because streaming is more valuable that's dangerous well yeah and i mean very so, dangerous so to give some background on streaming for those it's like a week off of streaming you're really not making a lot of money during that week but having a regular schedule as a streamer is really important and interrupting it as little as possible is important because you have like a lot of momentum with your viewers where like you know if i if i am a fan of savish and i want to watch his stream i'll just watch every day at the same time because he streams every day at the same time but if he misses a few days i'm finding other streamers to go watch and when he comes back Maybe I don't come back. Maybe I've found somebody else that I'm watching at that time. You know, like there's a lot of com competition in streaming. And actually, I've heard from some smaller streamers uh, on on Twitch that, you know, basically everybody who's not in the MPL, that Wizards paying all these people who were not previously streaming because they didn't have the know-how or desire or what have you uh, to stream are now basically being paid by Wizards to stream. And they are sucking up a lot of viewers that smaller Magic creators had previously uh, been getting because it's like you know if i'm going on to watch drafts and i want to watch you know my favorite you know twitch streamer who drafts all the time but now ben stark logs on well maybe i'm just going to go watch ben stark because he's constantly being promoted by wizards and being shown his name all the time and he's you know one of the best drafters in the world maybe the best and so it's like had he chosen to stream it wouldn't be a big deal but because wizards 
just paid him to stream, it feels like they're kind of impacting the magic streaming market as well with the MPL. And that that's not necessarily that has anything to do with the death of death of competitive magic or the fate of paper magic or anything like that. But it is another factor that the MPL, uh, is having an impact on magic for years and years before magic had arena when even when hearthstone was out there and magic wasn't um pros would talk about it's not a sustainable income source it's a hobby it's a glorified hobby and it's one that if you're really good at you can make some money with but they're all weekend warriors now all these guys a couple of them would maybe write articles and and you know eke a living by playing competitive magic but for the most part the longtime pros would all have another job yeah, a lot and, of them were like poker players or something like that. Or, or even lawyers or just like they would just yeah. play on the weekends. Like yeah. it just, that was a thing. And so um, for years and years, that was always the question was like, when will magic sort of take that jump to the next level where it truly is a competitive sport? Is it now in a better place than it was four years ago? Do you think? I think so. I mean, I think that these articles that are saying, you know, the death of competitive magic or the death of paper magic or whatever, it's... These, I think that it's not too late. I think that, you know, if Wizards does literally nothing and does the exact same thing, they pick 32 MPLers based on, you know, the criteria that they can use to get the people they want into the MPL and they don't put any other way in place for competitive magic, then sure, I think that, you know, competitive magic and magic as a whole will definitely suffer. But I think that there's still a chance for them to figure it out, uh, you know, and m they might lose some, some well-known pros who are just like, I don't have time to wait for this. I'm going to go do something else with my time or, you know, and, and in the case of people who are relying on magic for, you know, some amount of income through streaming or whatever, maybe they're just done. But, you know, I don't think it's too late. I think that the main thing is that basically I think what wizards is finding with their replacements to the former, the previous MPL players is that, when they picked just the top 32 players in the world and they gave them contracts that required them to stream, I think that they probably found that they weren't getting their money's worth with all the players because, you know, being good at magic and being good at streaming and like advertising the game well is not necessarily the same thing. Well, let's case in point here, guys. You're watching a podcast called The Masters of Modern with two people that have never played on a pro tour, but we like talking about magic. We've played it a long time and we're pretty good at having a good time talking about it. I mean, that's right. it's a different skill set than being a pro. Right. right. So I think that they've found that they're not getting their money's worth. So they're trying to find people that will give them their money's worth. And I think Jess and Savich both will give them their money's worth because they're entertaining personalities for sure. Their money's but, worth in the sense of promoting the product. Right. They'll, they'll promote the product on online, which will bring more people into the game, which will generate more hype around tournaments and will maybe get more people playing in arena. But there also needs to be a way to pursue that pro professional lifestyle because it's such a big part of the game. And if I think that they need something else, something other than the MPL, because the MPL is good for advertising, but not if you aren't picking the right people. And I think in order to pick the right people, it can't just be the top 32. It needs to be something else. I mean, obviously these are people who have, who are very good at magic, e even even the you know replacements for the initial top 32, but they're not necessarily the best 32 in the world. And so I think that the best 32 in the world are definitely good for the game, but they can be getting something else, right? They can be getting silver, gold, platinum or something similar. And then you have the MPL is 
you know, something else it's, and, and there's going to be overlap, right there. I think there are people that are great streamers and they're great at promoting the game, uh, that are in the MPL and they're, they're killing it, you know, but I don't think that that's true of all 32. And I think that wizards is finding that out and they are now trying to do a little bit of damage control. But again, I think that they're still figuring out what they're trying to do with the MPL and with competitive play and with everything. Now on the, on the other side of it. So we're, we've talked a lot about the, the paper side of it, but you know, the digital side of it has given us the ability to look at magic in a different way. You know, magic now compares more favorably to other esports. esports that have, I mean, from the perspective of content creators, uh, creating digital content, it's an incredibly volatile market creating content. There's not a lot of money behind it. Um, it's very hard to monetize YouTube videos. It's hard to, it's difficult to make a living off of just being a content creator, right? But the one thing that esports has going for it is in content creation and as a general product right now, there's a lot of money behind esports in a way that there's not really a lot of money behind very many things on the internet. The internet's pretty dead when it comes to money for just like consuming things that people make. For whatever reason, there is so much momentum behind esports. Maybe it's just that the groundswell of all these companies and investors getting involved has made it so there is a lot of money behind it. And so now... Arena kind of allows Magic to play in that space. And the difference between where Magic is right now and where, say, some of the other major esports are is that Wizards of the Coast is still providing basically all the major cash incentive for digital Magic. It, the company that makes the game is just paying out of their marketing budget the players to play the game. We don't well, and have... A lot of these companies do do that as well. There's, you know, Blizzard does that for Hearthstone and... and um I guess that's their oh and Overwatch that's the big one now and League of Le- Riot does that for League of Legends but aren't don't aren't aren't there league tournaments and aren't there that other companies also run with major cash prizes yes yeah and exactly. I think that we're starting to see that with Magic and Wizards is just trying to make a big enough splash and they're putting all their money behind this big you know Invitational and MPL and all that and they're kind of skimping on everything else because they're hoping that somebody will take the wheel from them I think that's what I think so sort too. of like how Star City and Channel Fireball have essentially started making their own pro circuits. And well, stuff. The, the GPs are still run by Wizards. It's just Channel Fireball is running them like Wizards is contracting them. To but SCG but has Star their Star City own. is totally independent, yeah. And it's it's debatable. Like, what if what if Star City becomes the premier paper magic uh, competitive format? Might and, happen. And Wizards becomes the premier competitive mythic or uh, arena format. It and, might happen. You know, and I, would that be the worst thing if if Star City got enough budget and enough sponsorship behind it to start to increase the cash prizes, where that circuit could really start to pay out meaningful amounts of money? I mean, I don't think it would be the worst. And like you were saying, that's true of a lot of other esports. And also, like the other thing that brings money to the players, at least, and allows you to have a competitive lifestyle or a competitive Magic player lifestyle, where you are able to do it full time and like you know, live the dream, right? Where you get to play competitive magic for a living. You don't have to go into work and then just try and jam in a GP on a weekend, take a Friday off or whatever. Right, right. Um, and that's like teams, right? Is, a, you know, Team Liquid and Cloud9 and TSM and all these teams. But we're starting to see a lot of magic streamers, not a lot, but we're starting to see magic streamers get picked up by these teams as like magic players in their esports organization. Right. You know, uh, um, and some of these larger esports organizations are picking up magic players. Now, there's nobody picking up the tournament circuit, but you know, it seems like more and more the competitive magic player lifestyle is you're going to be getting paid by somebody other than wizards. <laughs> Which, yeah, and that's honestly, I think that is a good thing. Um, but so that's kind of a little bit of what is going on with the competitive state of pro magic. Do you guys um, know why they're limiting the Magic Pro League to just 32? 
money. I would be my guess. I mean, um, I mean, I it like makes a clean tournament bracket because what they did was they split them into four leagues of eight um, that they're playing off right now. It was it's like Ruby, Sapphire, Pearl, and Emerald or something for four of the five Moxen, and then they're like playing off within those for like shots it buys at Mythic Championships or something like that. I don't know. I I didn't watch it, um, and I don't think a lot of people did, which is you know, whatever, but <laughs> well, I mean, I think this speaks a lot to what Jerry was talking about, but like not only do the pros not understand how the MPL works, the fans don't understand how the MPL works. So it's not compelling watching when we don't even understand what it is we're watching. I think that the reason for all of that confusion is that wizards doesn't know what the MPL is. That's what the problem is well, because I mean, they wanted it to be the top 32, something you strive for basically you know, platinum pros under the previous system, but with more publicity, more money, more everything. But it's now kind of becoming, you're a streamer, you're a, you're a personality, you're, you know, you are trying to make the game look good through what you're doing for the game. Right. And that's not the same thing as the top 32 players. And I don't, I think that that's the way to go. I think that the MPL should be more entertaining personalities that you want to watch and the pros should be something else. <laughs> Literally anything, anything competitive that is showcased, you become you become a performer. And while watching chess is not fun, it's because it's an efficient game where you're hyper-focused, you're not really interacting. Watching golf sometimes is fun, but sometimes is horrible. Because again, it's a precision game that's very slow. To, to actually make a product that's entertaining to watch, it's not about taking like super, super A-type personalities who just distill their focus down to one point and don't move, don't say anything. Like you want people who are entertaining. So it's interesting, you know, we've done this podcast for four and a half years and we've started to kind of, uh, you know, make a name for ourselves, I guess, in, in a community. We go to events, we meet people, right? And in the last like year, I've now gone on camera twice playing modern decks at GPs. And I think it the, it's not because I'm a re- like I'm not a great magic player. If you guys watch those videos, <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, I like playing magic. I enjoy it. But like I didn't get pulled onto those videos because I'm a pro. I got pulled onto the videos because I create content. People watch and listen and consume that content. And that's what wizards. Cool decks. Yeah. Even people who don't know you are going to see you playing on stream, and they're going to be like, "What's going on here?" Felidar Guardian, right? And the whole and the whole idea is that <laughs> like Superion. Wizards knows that it's more beneficial for them to get people who are invested in performing, putting on a show, and that's what they should be promoting their product with. It they will have a healthier, long term product if that's what they're focusing on. But unfortunately, but I think that there is something to be said. You know, not everybody can hope to be a performer, and I think the, the reason for that the Pro Tour has always existed is that that's that's like the dream of you get to you get to you know, be a professional magic player. You get to travel around the world with your friends playing magic and win some money and you, you don't have to have a job because you're, you're living the dream, right? You're, you're a professional magic player and you love magic. What's, what could go wrong? Right. And I think that that is still something that is worth them investing in. I get that like performers promote the game and they bring it to a wider audience, especially when they already have a following from something else like Savish does. But like you, I think that there is something to be said for a pro circuit where you can get on and if you're good at the game, you can stay on. No question. I mean, you don't want a bunch of clowns gumming it up up there who like don't know how to win because if you're, well, if you yeah, love- And I don't think that anybody is saying that about anybody in the MPL. They're all fantastic players, including the ones who are not, right? you know, who have been extended these kind of weird invites. I, I think what I mean is like, um, 
I think that you there is a different audience for different types of players. And sometimes those super hyper-focused A-type players are someone's favorite player because people like watching people be great at something, you know? It, well, that was why I liked the Mythic Invitational. I thought it was cool that they had like these, these MPL players, the best 32 in the world versus kind of streamers and personalities because you got to watch both at the same time. You know, you got to watch someone celebrating and like all excited about winning. And you also got to see like incredibly technical play that like the commentators can kind of be like, wow, this was a great play because of X, Y, Z. And obviously the streamers are capable of that too, but it's not the same when it's not the best in the world. Right. And so, so you really did get to see the best in the world playing and you also got to see performers performing at what they do best, which is, play magic in front of an audience the answer to the question is that's the balance you want and if that's the formula that worked because it did work it had more viewership than any magic event in history somebody else has to pick up the torch from wizards they have to take the 10 million dollars that wizards have spent this year to promote this thing and say we're willing to double down and spend some of our own money to get a little bit of this piece of this pie and that's what next year has to be about if if it's the same thing again next year there's not another advertiser there's not another company that decides to come in and back this thing a little bit i think 20 unfortunately 2020 is going to be a step backwards for the MPL, like a pretty major one. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. But I also think that there is room for reform. And I think that, you know, given Jerry stepping down and kind of the internet backlash to this whole situation does probably have a lot of people in Wizards in a lot of meetings. And hopefully something comes of that. And it's not just kind of stay the course, wait for somebody else to take over. I mean, if somebody else wants to create an arena tournament circuit that has money in it. And so there are a couple, actually. There's there's Twitch Rivals and Fandom Legends are both like kind of Twitch based. Uh, Twitch Rivals, obviously Twitch themselves. Uh, I don't know if Fandom Legends is controlled by a larger. I think it's Fandom is the name of the company. Do you watch Twitch Rivals? I have. It's a good show. Well, so Twitch Rivals does tournaments every day, maybe with diff a different game. And so sometimes oh. it's you know, like a Stardew Valley speed run. And sometimes it's magic and sometimes it's apex legends and sometimes it's Fortnite, And, huh. and, you know, um, they do, they do like different stuff every day, almost, uh, if not, you know, a few times a week. Um, and fandom legends, I think is similar, uh, but they've been doing magic tournaments and they invite streamers, uh, and it's more of an invitational format, like what you, you know, kind of like the, the mythic invitational. And they always make sure to try and invite some, MPLers and they invite a lot of popular streamers and I've watched a few of them especially when there's like people that I like to watch on um, Recently, I watched the fandom legends tournament because uh, a streamer that I really like holy diva was on there and she lives in Spain And so a lot of times she streams like at night us time And so I don't get to watch her but she like stayed up late to play in this fandom legends thing And so I watched because it was like a streamer. I don't usually get to watch <laughs> um, All right, so I think that pretty much wraps up the conversation for today um, next week coming up you and Alex are going to be talking about War of the Spark and how it's broken modern. Um, it's There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. There, I mean, there's a whole list of sweet decks that have popped up. Like, yeah. I wish we had more time today because I want to get Some of it is broken and some of it is just sweet new stuff. I mean, it's a high power level set with a lot of sweet new stuff. The Neoform one is the, is the most egregious crazy one because I've watched some streams and it's like totally absurd. Yeah. It's definitely going to have to get banned. Like, I that's not something that can work. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's so, all cold snaps fault. Like always. Yeah. I, I don't know if cold I've said it on the snap. podcast before, but I'm really not a big fan of cold snap. I think it's the worst magic set of all time. Why? Whoa. It's done lasting damage to the game by existing. Why? This is a clip. So we got, this is a clip we're going to run. Go. Oh ahead. yeah. We got dark depths. <laughs> we got, uh, Allosaurus writers, the culprit in this case. Yep. But there's just like, it seems like such a filler set of like overflow from time spiral that didn't fit. And so it became its own set. And then it wasn't fun. Like, 
Ripple is not a fun mechanic. Yeah. Um, cumulative upkeep is not a fun mechanic, even no matter how they dress it. I will admit to using snow lands in a commander deck, and snow lands are fine, but they're not like, wow, so cool. In a 100-card format, they allow you to play two of each basic and make your Tainted Pact work. I'll oh, tell you that. boy. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And so I'm trying to think of the other broken cards. Panglacial so Worm. Mishra's Bobble. Yeah, Panglacial Worm breaks the game. Mishra's Bobble is a card that probably just shouldn't exist. Like free cantrips in any color. I don't think so. Rite of Flame, which had to be banned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rite of Flame is Sick. banned. Dark Depths is banned. Counterbalance is in that set. Yeah. Why did they print that? That card is <laughs> not fun. Um, Zur the oh, Enchanter, the list. Plague of oh, Commander. So, so Zur the Enchanter and Arkham Dagson, two of the most hated commanders, are from Cold Snap. Oh, I have a big list. I can't remember it off the top of my head. We're not all fans of my Oren Viper. Rant. No? No one likes Oren Viper? I mean, it's kind of <laughs> sweet. There's like a few cards I like in the set. I like uh, a Dark Card Valkyrie is a sweet one, too. I like Vexing Sphinx. I like it's Survivor of the Unseen. Cumulative Upkeep, the only Jace the Mind Sculptor-esque creature, prior to now there being creatures that are way better. Yeah, I'm I'm really really not into the set, and I feel like it has done damage to Magic as a whole with cards like Counterbalance and Dark Depths. And Scred, Scred's a thing. Right? I People do like Scred. Scred's actually really sweet. Scred's sweet, yeah. <laughs> That's there's a couple. Hey, you gotta take cards you gotta the take set, the good with the bad. But I think Magic would be better off if it didn't exist. I like all the I like pretty much all the free spells. Actually, I'm a fan of Commandeer. I think it's extremely prohibitive how expensive Ooh. it is, but it's fun to use. Fury of, Fury of the Horde. Like Commandeer is never going to be good unless like. It's broken for some. Oh reason. man! It's, Same with Allosaurus Rider. It's showing up now. It's showing up Fury now. Fury of the Hordes is also not fair. Soul Spike. It's I've Sick. seen. I've seen several. <laughs> I've seen several modern lists in recent in the recent months sporting Commandeer because it's so strong against Tron. Yeah, it's well, such a strong these, card against these Tron. New like Days Undoing, Notion Thief decks because they play they're it, playing yeah. Time Twister effects are just like two blue cards out of my hand. Who cares? I'm yeah. just gonna Time Twister next turn anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really cool set. So stay tuned next week. Uh, we're gonna talk about that. Just a quick reminder for everybody here. Oh, you know what? Actually, we're gonna take a quick three minutes before the episode's over to talk about something that went up today on our YouTube that I really wanted to talk about. I almost forgot about this. Highlander Gauntlet. We've talked about this forever forever literally and but always in secret so yes. what are we talking about ben uh highlander gauntlet is a format that you can go find all about on our youtube channel there's a video titled the greatest magic the gathering format in the world um and it is so you've talked about it before on the podcast under a different name right ben it used to be called highlander roulette um it is no longer called roulette because for the purpose of any kind of sanctioned tournament that has gambling connotations so it had to go we don't care um it is now called highlander gauntlet it's a six deck singleton 1v1 format once again there's a video that has all the details um, me and Eric Widetz, one of the originators of the format, uh, talk about. So it's up on our on our channel now. We're actually going to be running the first sanctioned tournament ever. Um, it's going to be at GP Vegas this year in August, the first Highlander Gauntlet tournament. So uh, we will be playing in that tournament. We're really excited about it. More information to come soon, but go check out the video. We're going to be putting up deck techs. Eric and I both did a gauntlet tech where we go deck by deck, spend like three minutes per deck to kind of talk about what it's like to build a gauntlet. We've got a website in the works, right? With like rules, info, and all the videos will be posted there. There's actually a Facebook group currently that that I think has all the information posted. So if you go just, if you look up Highlander Gauntlet on Facebook, you'll find it. Um, but HighlanderGauntlet.com does exist. We bought it. We just haven't gone and done all the, the legwork yet. But yeah, tons of information coming soon on it, but we're really, really, really hyped about it. Go check out the video. Uh, it's on this channel. Uh, like, subscribe, comment, leave your thoughts below. There's definitely a lot of questions. People, as expected, there are a lot of people saying 600 cards. It's so daunting. What a crazy format. It's so expensive. And I hear you. Um, I've been playing this for like 10 years now. And I can tell you that 
don't build hypothetically in your phone off of what you don't have. Start with what you do have. There's yeah. I mean, I, I Highlander Gauntlet is a lot like building a cube. I mean, you need like a similar number of cards, and really, if you just took like a legacy cube, like the Magic Online Legacy Cube, you could easily build six decks out of it that are amazing. So it's similar to building a cube, and building a cube is definitely daunting. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's similar. You could and you just you just pick out of your cube. The six archetypes that you think are the coolest that don't have a lot of overlap, and that's your that's your wheel. Yeah, I mean you can watch the full video, but basically the gist of it is it's six one hundred card singleton decks. There's no repetitions between any of the six decks to determine the matchup at the beginning of the game. You roll off among your six decks. Game two, it's out of your remaining five. You roll off again, and if there is a game three, it's of the remaining four decks. The reserve list is the ban list, so everything that's not on the reserve list is legal, uh, and that's pretty much that. We. We have all built our decks over the years using primarily proxies as we're getting ready for this tournament, you know, having to replace the proxies has taken some time, but people build budget wheels, as we used to call them, gauntlets all the time. You can yeah, build I mono think, red, you can build mono blue, you I can build like elves. five monocolor decks in an artifact deck or something is like people do a it. pretty budget option that's actually really competitive because a lot of the best decks in the format are monocolored aggro decks. <laughs> yeah, but it's a really, really wide format. You can do pretty pretty much if there's if there's an archetype you liked playing at some time in your life ever, you can make it work in this format. That's the coolest thing about it. It's, it's my favorite thing about it. And every single deck sort of needs to be able to answer everything. So you have tons of variety. Um, but go go check out the video. Let us know what you guys think. More information on that coming soon. I just wanted to make sure to get that in because I'm really excited about it. I'm hyped. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. So, uh, all right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Be sure to check out the Command Zone and Game Nights. Jimmy and Josh, those guys do rad content. Um and of course, uh, follow us on Twitter and all of the things and patreon.com slash the MMcast is the best way you guys can help support the growth of this show and all the cool things in the future that we hope to do, uh, like hiring a producer like we did. We have a producer now. And uh, I just want to bring up again, because we mentioned it at the beginning, but there's exciting previews on the horizon. So subscribe oh, yeah. to all the social media because we'll be blasting it out to all that on stuff. On the modern horizon? Oh, yes. That <laughs> wasn't even intentional. <laughs> <laughs> There's some sweet preview cards on the modern horizon, so stay, stay subscribed for that stuff. Yeah, it's going to be good. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Bye. Thank you for your attention. See you later, alligator. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.